0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is The Art of Being Well. What's up? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a functional medicine practitioner. My day job is I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. So my main focus, my main job, is I get to to get to the root cause of why people are struggling with their health issues. And we drop ship labs wherever they're at in the world and provide them a functional medicine perspective and context to the components or a confluence of factors that are giving rise to why they may be feeling the way that they're feeling. So I deal a lot with people with uh, autoimmunity and different types of inflammation, and that can manifest in different ways, but things like digestive problems, different inflammatory digestive issues, people with neurological symptoms like anxiety and depression, fatigue, brain fog, people with hormonal problems, Um, and people with different inflammatory issues. Those are my people, certainly, and it's a sacred responsibility for me to find out what's the root component, What what are the facets to their health issues, and giving them tools and answers to overcome these health issues too. So that is what I love, and this show is an outpouring of my clinical experience and my passion for people, and my passion for people struggling with different health issues, So, you can learn more about my clinical practice at drwillcole.com. I also have written a few books about these topics as well. Ketotarian is my first book, it's a mostly plant based, clean, ketogenic way of eating. And second book is called The Inflammation Spectrum. And my newest book is called Intuitive Fasting. It's a flexible approach to intermittent fasting. And it's a mindful approach to intermittent fasting as well, as as its name implies, an intuitive approach to fasting, which may seem paradoxical to you, but that's the point of the book. It's actually to learn more about your body and to learn to use fasting, both as a medicine, therapeutic tool to gain metabolic flexibility and lower inflammation and balance blood sugar and all the amazing science around fasting on a health level, but not just use fasting as a medicinal therapeutic tool, but how can we use fasting as a meditation and use food as a meditation too, to be more mindful about how we live our life. So that's what intuitive fasting is all about. Again, you can learn more about all the books as well at drwillcole.com if you're so inclined let's get to today's guest this guy man he is he's a good guy he's a smart human being he's a kind human being and just one of those people you know when when you first meet him he this is my experience with today's guest is he knew that we had a we had books out coming out around the same time And he called me up just to ask me how I was, to give me his experience about releasing a book during a pandemic and was just there for me. Um, And I really appreciate him super busy and still took the time out and actually initiated with uh, reaching out to me and seeing how I was. So Person I'm talking about is Sean Stevenson. Uh, he is a best-selling author and creator of the Model Health Show, featured as the number one health podcast on iTunes with millions of listener downloads each year. He's a graduate of the University of Missouri at St. Louis. Sean studied business, biology, kinesiology, and went on to be the founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations worldwide. Sean has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Men's Health Magazine, ESPN, Fox News, and many other major media outlets. He is also a frequent keynote speaker for numerous organizations, universities, and conferences today. We get into it, my friends. We talk about how a traumatic injury actually inspired Sean to dig deeper into the health world and what we eat. You have to hear the story. Oh my gosh, it was shocking to me uh, what actually went down there. We talk about how Sean changed his life and habits to heal his body as an athlete. We talk about Sean's inspiration for his newest book, Eat Smarter, How to Use the Power of Food to Reboot Your Metabolism, Upgrade Your Brain, and Transform Your Life. We we'll talk also about how we are literally what we eat. And when I say literally, I mean literally, not just A figurative use of the word literally. We are literally what we eat, and he breaks down the science there and what this actually means for our nutritional habits. We talk about the three things that can hold us back from weight loss and stall our metabolism. You have to hear those three things, and how to decrease neuroinflammation, brain inflammation, for the sake of our body and overall health. We also talk about his epic podcast, The Model Health Show. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Sean Stevenson. Sean Stevenson, how the heck are you, man? I'm doing great. I got you here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in your house. This is cool. We're recording here. Yeah. Thank thanks, you. Thank thanks you. for having me.
1: Kids just coming in in between, <laughs> you know.
0: That's right. Family stuff. Uh, so I want to say, first of all, thank you again for thinking of me going out of your way to call me before our books came out to like, give me some wisdom. I appreciate that. I mean, that means a lot your thoughtfulness and consideration towards me. Oh man. It's my honor.
1: It's truly, truly. I just want to see people win, you know, especially with the message that you have. And you know, so many of our colleagues that is largely not being talked about and getting our citizens healthier. I want to make sure we do everything we can to lift each other up yeah. and reach
0: as many hearts and souls as possible. That's right. This is a positive thing. And you're a man of integrity. I, I could tell by that. As soon as that phone call, I'm like, yeah, this is a good, good guy. Take me back. Like, how did you find health and wellness? I, I know a little bit about your story, but I want to know the real stuff. Go back in the day. Like, how where, how did you get to where you're at now? Yeah. You know, when I was, I was upstairs, because we were at my
1: place, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird because, you know, we had a studio prior to all the shutdowns, all this yep. stuff. And so now the, the time span between being naked in the shower to being on camera is like (laughs) so awkward um but yeah i mean i was just thinking about while i was shaving there man there's really no one at this level and it's unfortunate because there's so so many gifted people that are from where i'm from that are you know a voice of health you know, Mm -hmm. that it really has a big impact and a big sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, my first book, Sleep Smarter, was the first sleep wellness book to become an international bestseller. And I know, you know, I know the sleep guys, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, these are friends and colleagues, but, you know, and they've written books, but none of them have really taken off. And I was even, I remember agents and, you know, publishers trying to talk me out of it because I'm a nutritionist. They're just like, you would do great with the food book. But I'm like, no, 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 this is missing from the conversation. Mm -hmm. We have to get this out. Mm -hmm. And so to have that impact. And of course, you know, when Eat Smarter came out, my new book, it was the number one book in the United States, uh, uh, fiction and nonfiction. Wow! the first few days that it came out. And for me, it's just this reiteration of how timely the message is, how people Mm -hmm. do care about health and wellness. But Mm -hmm. where I'm from, you know, most of my life, I lived in Ferguson, Missouri, you know, and it's famous or infamous now, Mm -hmm. you know, for the conditions that I've seen, you know, growing up East St. Louis, uh, you know, I'm I'm from the hood, man. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's where I'm from. You don't usually see people at this level Mm -hmm. coming from where I'm from in the health space. And being that I'm from, you know, uh, this particular area, you know, I grew up on food stamps, WIC, Mm -hmm. uh, food pantries. We were getting like, basically from, you know, like food shelters Mm -hmm. and giving us handouts Mm -hmm. and just doing what we had to do to survive, man. I didn't know that there was a difference with food. It's just Mm -hmm. stuff that you eat. Mm -hmm. And I remember like penny candy, you know, like you get a dollar, (laughs) you get a hundred pieces of candy, man. Like (laughs) you literally, you have so much sugar that you pass out and you don't even realize it. Like your fingers are still playing the video game. You know what I mean? So, you know, being able to see that level, like that was just my life. We ate Mm -hmm. fast food. Every day, Mm -hmm. if we had the money, because, and oftentimes we did have the money because it's so cheap. Yeah. And little did I know, I was making my body out Mm -hmm. of these foods. I was making my brain. I was making the tissues of my my heart. Yeah. My bones was being made of this very low quality food. So, most of the time, where I'm from, getting out is through athletics. Mm. You know, that's the way to success. And so, you know, I went to a, a, a high school that really churns out professional athletes. And when I was 15 years old, I ran a 4:540, you know, which is like NFL combine times mm-hmm. for folks who don't really, you know, watch football. Or, yeah. And so things were looking great for me, man. You know, I've got incredible game films. I'm on there, you know, just doing my thing. I looked mm-hmm. like I was at a different speed than the rest of the people I was playing with, and I was just a kid, you know, and I was just out there having fun. But when I was 15 years old, actually, it was the first time. It was actually during track season. I was doing a 200 meter time trial. And as I was coming off the curve into the straightaway, my hip broke. Mm. There was no, nobody hit me. I didn't fall. My bone literally broke just from running. Wow. Because my bones were so brittle, Yeah. which, you know, when I went in finally to get a scan done and see the physician, he was like, oh yeah, you know, there it is, your little, the iliac crest had Mm -hmm. broken off the tip of the hip bone. Yeah. And then, but I went through what's called standard of care. Take some NSAIDs, stay off the leg, you'll be fine but nobody stopped to ask how can a 15 year old kid break his hip from running, you right, know? Right. And so I went, you know, I got, I did the standard of care. I got back into practice, but it was a string of about six more injuries. I literally have a game film where I'm doing, I think it was a 39 sweep or a 38 sweep. And I'm coming off the side and, you know, I get past the, the defensive back. And so I'm, I'm five, head, uh, five yards ahead of the defensive back headed to the end zone mm-hmm. and I just break down, I just fall. I'd torn a muscle, mm. you know? Um, I had just a string, of, I, like literally just, I couldn't stay on the football field right. because my body was just breaking down. That literally put the fire out of my my passion and my perspective of quote, making it. And my identity was shattered, which I didn't really know till later, you know, being this athletic right. fit guy and the yeah. guy who's, you know, that people yeah. are looking to, to be successful in that. Yeah. And so ultimately I was 20 years old when I got diagnosed with degenerative bone disease, degenerative disc disease. So the spine, my spine, the the introvertible disc, which many people have this condition today. It's kind of just one of the hot ones on the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was 20 years old and I had such advanced degeneration of my disc that my physician told me I had the spine of an 80 year old man, which, but There's some 80-year-olds who are killing it. So just even to use that reference is not good, but just the average 80-year-old person here yeah, in America. Right. And now here's where it really gets interesting is that he told, and I, I don't know what drew me to ask this question. And I was in, for, fortunately, I did really well in school. So I was, you know, I went to a private university, pre-med track, which I took nutritional science and it was an elective. It was not part of the track. I took that. Because I thought nutrition was about fitness. Mm-hmm. So maybe that planted the seed for me to ask him this question. But I asked him, mm-hmm. does this condition, does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? And he looked at me like I was from another planet. He said, This mm-hmm. has nothing to do with what you're eating. This is mm-hmm. just something that happens. Wow. And I'm sorry it happened to you. And my physician, he was he was obese as well. And I don't I've only mentioned that maybe two or three times because I really I just kind of erased it from my memory in a sense. Like I just blocked that part out and just thought about the bad news. Mm. But in his training in what he'd seen, like this was impossible, there's mm. nothing I could do. And that's the, the nocebo effect, yeah. which I talk about in the book as well, which the placebo is when you get a positive injunction that you know, your blood pressure is gonna be lowered, your blood sugar is gonna normalize, even though it's a sham treatment, surgery, yeah. drug, but placebos are 33% effective on average, 33 to 40% effective on average in clinical studies. That's the power of the human mind. And we talked about this earlier, yeah. the physician within. Your brain is the most powerful pharmacy in the universe. <laughs> and it's because it's not just producing, quote, bioidentical. it's literally right. made for you, for your receptor sites, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. But a nocebo is the negative side, getting a negative injunction from an authority figure that really bypasses that prefrontal cortex, your reasoning, it's distinguishing between right and wrong, yeah. and getting to your subconscious this is when you hear, you'll never walk again. Mm. This is incurable. You have six weeks to live. You know, all these things that I've heard and also from people i work with over the years, incredibly heartbreaking. So my mm. life just kind of spiraled out of control yeah. downward, not a spiral upward. I don't even know if that, <laughs> I did see an inverted tornado the other day. It was like a meme. Um, <laughs> this is the opposite of that. It's it was the opposite downwards, of that. Downwards. And so, you know, it was two years, man. I was eating what I call the, a tough diet typical university food <laughs> and just continue to make my tissues out of these foods i didn't know that it mattered mm-hmm. and also he told me he gave me the affirmation yeah and i gained a bunch of weight i gained about 40 pounds over that time span and you know it was a long road back but it took 2 years which for some people they never get it some right. people get it immediately but it's 2 years when i finally realized after seeing you know multiple physicians which you should always get a second or third opinion you know when you're faced with you know some devastating news but also now we add that with the caveat get an opinion for somebody who actually has the same goal as you that's it's so good, important good that's why people yeah. come to you yeah. it's a it's a much more healthy mm-hmm. perspective because you know if they're saying like I don't want to be on the center pro for the rest of my life right okay if that's my goal yeah. if that's your goal that's our, my our goal mm-hmm. and so long story long i finally ask what can i do to get healthy Mm -hmm. which I, this whole time I was asking, why me? Why would somebody help me? I changed the question in my mind and I changed my nutrition. I changed my sleeping habits. I changed the way that I was moving, my movement practices. And man, nine months later, I got a scan done and the degeneration had completely reversed. Now I could see the light Mm -hmm. shining through my disc that were black before. Wow. And my two herniated disc, which was causing me so much pain and having all this medication had retracted. And at that point I was already Uh, I had become a strength conditioning coach. I got certified. I was like still in my university classes and my professors were my clients because people saw the transformation. And I didn't just look like a person who lost weight. Mm -hmm. I looked like a person who was healthy, who was just like, a. I just look, when I see those old pictures of myself, I was just a shadow of myself. Looked Mm -hmm. like a ghost, man. And I was just like, clearly not well. And then to see somebody that was radiantly healthy, it just attracted people to me. And so my professors, faculty at the school, Eventually graduated, opened my clinical practice in nutrition, the books and the podcasts, and you
0: know now I'm here with you. So cool, man! Have you heard of Public Goods before? If you haven't, my friends, you have to check them out. The bottles are so beautiful. Everything looks clean and calming. The aesthetic is on point. There's no bright colors. There's no mismatched packaging. My favorite, if I had to pick. Uh, would be, I use the cleaning products in our functional medicine center. We use the surface cleaners, we use the glass cleaners, the bathroom cleaners at the functional medicine center, and as well as at my home. If you don't know about Public Goods, they are the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food to cleaning products. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. I mean, who can't get behind that? Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is really important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on personal health and the world at large. They use a membership model, okay, to keep costs low for you and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. They even plant one tree for every order place and incorporate sustainability into every part of the company. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We worked out an amazing deal just for the art of being well at listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash Will or use code willcole, Will W-I-L-L. C-O-L-E, at checkout. That dot com forward slash Will Cole to receive $15 off your first order. Hydration is one of the most important aspects of living a healthy lifestyle and waking up each day feeling your best. Whether you're getting in your morning workout, hiking in hot temperatures, or struggle with headaches and muscle cramps or fatigue, electrolytes are critical. Drink Element replaces these essential electrolytes without the sugar, without artificial ingredients or coloring and any other junk ingredients found in popular electrolyte drinks on the market today. Element was actually developed by Rob Wolf, who is a brilliant human being, and he's a former research biochemist and two times New York Times bestselling author, and his coaches, Tyler and Luis because they were frustrated with the lack of healthy electrolyte options on the market. I mean, me too. It's a problem, and Element fixed the issue. Their customers include three Navy SEAL teams, as prescribed by their Master Chief, Team USA Weightlifting, and dozens of NFL and NBA teams. As a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. You can claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Just go to drinkelement.com slash Art of Being Well. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash art of being well. It's our go-to electrolyte in my functional medicine center. I have it every day. Check it out. How long did it take you to turn your health around? Like what was the timeline for people that are like, okay, I'm in the throes of unhealth right now. What can I expect? Everyone's journey is different, but what did it look like for you?
1: as you mentioned, results, not typical, but from that moment of decision, when I decided I'm gonna really focus on getting myself well, I think you always go to the low hanging fruit, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that you have an association with. For me, it was fitness. Every physician that I saw, even though I could still walk, told me bed rest, right? So not only is my spine going atrophy, everything is. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I do was just like, I started going to the university gym and just like, I couldn't really walk very well so I just got on the stationary bike for about a week or so. Mm-hmm. Then I started walking a little bit around mm-hmm. the track and the treadmill. A couple of weeks later, I picked up some weights, you know? And the, the part of this with the exercise is that the word exercise is very similar to the word exorcise, <laughs> which means to like get- Get it out. Get, get stuff out <laughs> that shouldn't be here, <laughs> yeah. right? But exercise is really about assimilation mm-hmm. and digestion and elimination, right? Yeah. And that's that exorcism part, but assimilation. I came across a study that was actually on (laughs) racehorses, And, you know, because my bones were so brittle, you know, my bone density was so low. And I was just led to believe that this is just something you got to deal with, because I'm taking all the calcium in the world is not helping because of the commercials, right? Got milk. And so I thought, you know, I'm guzzling milk (laughs) every day in sunny delight and it's not working (laughs) now. So what this study did was they were racehorsing like maybe if anybody's listening, it's like a multi-billion dollar yeah. business, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, you're, if a horse breaks a bone, like that's like millions and millions of dollars loss. So to increase the horse's bone density, they had a control group that they did nothing with the horses. They had a study group, they gave the horses some supplements, right? Mm-hmm. So a spectrum of different things. And it did increase the horse's bone density, but they had another group that they gave them supplements and walked the horses. And they had a radically higher, increase in their bone density wow. because that movement pulls the nutrients in. So that's number one. It was a low hanging fruit. I changed my nutrition, honestly, right out of the gate. I tell you, man, I did slim fast first <laughs> It's because it's yeah. what I saw in the commercials, right? Yeah. Shake yeah. for breakfast, shake for lunch and a healthy dinner. Yeah. You know, sensible dinner. <laughs> You remember even the words they said. I did, man, you know, and it was disgusting. And it was, it didn't work. I've never had it before. What's it taste like? Huh, me. (laughs) You know, have you ever had Pepto-Bismol? Yeah. yeah. All right, so think about (laughs) Pepto-Bismol with a little bit of high fructose corn syrup and -hmm. then a little bit of soil sprinkled into it.
0: All right. Sounds like a fun time. Yeah,
1: it it was definitely interesting, you know, so- (laughs) I did that, but fortunately by asking the question, what can I do to get healthy? There's a mental reflex called instinctive elaboration. Mm. where your brain is constantly looking for things to answer the questions that you pose it, yeah. Right, your dominant question. Resources had been there the whole time for me to get well. I just wasn't attuned to them because I was so focused on how bad things were. Right. And so I had people in my life that had access and exposure to the things that I really needed. And so a friend of mine took me to Wild Oats who had known her for years, you know? And we went to Wild Oats and I didn't even know this, this was a different universe. Because again, I'm living in Ferguson, Missouri. Yeah. This is on the other side of the city. And I walk in and it's just like all of this produce and there's all of the, there's like grass inside the store. I'm like, what the yeah. hell is this grass doing? It's weed, yeah. grass. But they also had books that had all these peer reviewed studies. And so, the next thing from Slim Fast, which I got out of in a couple of days, I became a natural pill popper, right? So I was just like, okay. Supplements. Holy, I, I read one study that it wasn't just calcium that you needed, there was like 20 other things your bones needed yeah. for bone d- density that are proven in the science. Omega-3s were needed for bone density, um, you know, sulfur-bearing amino acids. I wasn't getting none of that stuff from my food. So, you know, I started taking supplements and that was very expensive. And then I just realized like, food has all of these other biopotentiators and what type of vitamin C do I need? There's m- multiple types. Mm-hmm. I can't just take all these different supplements. Yeah. Food has it all. Right. And so by changing things I was doing during the day, it improved my sleep quality at night. And when mm-hmm. I started sleeping, man, I got better so quickly. Yeah. So for me, I was out of pain and I lost about 18 pounds in six weeks. Mm-hmm. Again, results not typical,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but- it was over the course of the next few months, you know, two months, three months. So if number one, getting out of pain was miraculous. And I was in fear because I've been in pain so long, I was just afraid with everything that I did that it would come back. Yeah. But that was just alluding to the fact that my discs were healing, you know, mm-hmm. my bone density was improving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, again, health is, it's a continuous thing. It's not a, it's not a destination you arrive at. Yeah. It's something you attract by the person you become. That's good. And so it's just been this over, overflowing experience over time of yeah. really understanding my own unique needs and also mm-hmm. teaching that with patients I was working with over the years. And, you know, but for me, that that it was like a this also is about focus. I was so focused on getting well that within, you know, that kind of two month period, I had mm-hmm. a radical transformation in my health.
0: Yeah. But like you said, it's it's it never ends this unfolding and deepening of it's a lifestyle change. I'm curious. People often ask me, "Well, how much of it is working out? How much of it is food?" When you were starting uh, going on your health journey, what was it for you? Everybody's different, I know. Yeah. But
1: there's many paths to the goal. But definitely, food was the bridge that walked me over into the domain of of being a healthy sovereign person. Yeah. You know, for other people, it could be through meditation. It could be through exercise. But it was food because this is one of the big tenets that I talk about in Eat Smarter that I really want to bring to the forefront. We don't really think about this in conventional health, which is the fact, you know, I know the top cardiologists in the world, top gastroenterologists, mm-hmm. uh, top neurologists, top uh, rheumatologists, the list goes on and on. We'll just use the top gastroenterologist, who's a friend of mine, award winning, incredibly successful. And he made a pivot in his career later because he really under—he wasn't seeing success with his patients to really understand the power of food. And he went to school for 16 years. He focuses on the treatment of the organs that are responsible for digestion, assimilation, and elimination of food, Mm -hmm. of food. Yet he learned about food for only two weeks in 16 years. It's a fundamental flaw of the system, of the paradigm. Yeah, Because the truth is the organs themselves are made from food. Mm-hmm. The gastrointestinal tract is made from the food that you eat. Wow. Your liver is literally made of the food that you eat. Your pancreas is literally made of the food that you eat. The beta cells in the pancreas made from the food that you eat. I can go on and on and on. It's all made from food. Yeah. So to not understand the very thing that we're yeah. made of, we're really missing the point. Truth. You know. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, people have to realize this is like you said, the raw materials for you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's simple as that. And I I cited a study and you probably know about it too. that said most conventionally trained doctors would fail a basic nutrition test. I mean, this is unacceptable. And I think something needs to change. But I think there's really glimmers of hope because if you look at the Institute for Functional Medicine, most of my colleagues are conventionally trained. They're going to the IFM in droves because they're seeing this necessity of like people, people are spinning their wheels and we're spinning our wheels trying to help them. So I, I see there is at least pockets of hope within the system. Do you have that? How do you feel? I mean, do you feel like more cynical, like eh, the system's not going to change, or that we could see some good good movements yeah. in the right direction? We're,
1: we're we're seeing it already. Yeah, you know, there's been a big shift. You know, of course, with functional medicine, mm-hmm. integrative medicine, but I've been saying this for years: the old paradigm is not going to just go out without a fight. Like yeah. this is a four trillion dollar a year industry. Mm-hmm. Four trillion. And if anybody wants to look up this, this uh report that came out last year, so that was in 2019. Um, that year, one trillion of those dollars were effectively wasted. Right. And you can go and look at the different places that, you know, from everything from fraud to just like poor reporting and like unnecessary treatments, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. A, a trillion dollars wasted. Do you know what we could do with a trillion freak? First of all. Let's talk about what a trillion dollars is, because our brains can't even wrap around that. That's nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine billions. Yeah, plus another, and then times four for conventional medicine. What's funneled into the sick care system really, because it is so ineffective. Everything keeps getting worse. Like I'm a big person, uh, proponent of just looking at the results. Yeah, everything continues to get worse, and it's just the management of symptoms. And so, my point being that if we can get a fundamental shift to understand what what we're made of Mm -hmm. and what constitutes human health. So we have to have better training, which again, our, our medical training, the paradigm itself is really focused on pharmacology, the treatment of symptoms, you know? And also if you look at the healthcare professionals, we see some of the highest rates of heart disease, of depression, it's one of the highest rates of suicide. I believe it's in the top five
0: mm-hmm.
1: of all, you know, so the mental health there. And, you know, you're programmed to just run yourself into the ground. Yeah. Poor nutrition because it's very superficial things. Yeah. And, you know, just the stress involved and the system making you work in quantity and not quality. And mm-hmm. the list goes on and on. It's very from top to bottom. So say that it's broken, it's not broken. It's fundamentally flawed. It's always been yeah. this way. Right. Now, being that it's an entity that exists, it can be improved. But I think so, number one, we do focus on that, but also simultaneously, we build another. You know, we just yeah. see which one gets to the top first.
0: Every day, there is a new wellness trend, right? I mean, there's so much conflicting information online. It's hard to even know what the heck you should be doing when it comes to your health. I mean, where do you start? Who do you trust? Inside Tracker cuts through the noise by analyzing your blood your DNA, your lifestyle, and fitness trackers. They provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. As a functional medicine practitioner, I love data, I love labs, and I realize not everybody needs a functional medicine practitioner in their life right now. That's why I love Inside Tracker so much because it gives you agency on your health. It is a simpler and more convenient way than traditional blood tests. Their blood tests include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin, vitamin D, so many other really important health biomarkers. My favorite part is that they don't just give you the data. They actually provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action on your life. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash art of being well change is an inside job. Start inside. It is interesting when people look at what we do within wellness and you see people getting healthy and people's labs improving. And what I hear a lot of times with my patients is that their conventional doctor, they don't understand what they're doing, but they just say, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it because it's like <laughs> the, the labs aren't lying. <laughs> yeah. If you see someone's triglycerides come down, their A1C comes down, the inflammation, the, what are you going to... You, who, are you gonna fight about that? You're gonna pontificate against that person getting healthier. Um, it is it is interesting when people judge the wellness world or what we're doing specifically is like dangerous or, I mean, it's almost like when you look at the statistics of what we're spending on healthcare, it'd be one thing if we were spending all that money and we saw great outcomes, but it's kind of like this failing student that's judging and shaming the valedictorian. We're actually getting people healthy. Yeah. You just
1: said it. You just said something that I haven't heard anybody just in conversations like these say before that I, I don't usually share, which is when I went to see my last physician before mm-hmm. making this shift in my, in my thinking. Yeah. And by the way, so I, also when I started to get well, I shifted all my coursework back to the pre-med track I went to school for, I got out of it, which I hated, I literally hated science. Mm-hmm. I had this reoccurring bad dream about this biology class you know, like not having my homework done, like things that weren't necessarily typical of me, but it just like some weird thing. This could be some back to the future stuff, I don't know. (laughs) But it just really compelled me to get out of it. They also had a good MBA program. So I shifted over to that. And then once I went to this, you know, a different university, you know, I shifted back to, you know, biology and kinesiology and all this stuff. But, you know, through all of that and changing my own health, my last physician, when he was looking at my scans, we were standing there, he was rubbing his chin. He was like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Wow.
0: I haven't seen results like this before. Those same words you, you wow. hear all the time. Yeah, because I mean, most conventional doctors that are in that system, they want the person to get better. Yeah. So this isn't like a, against the specific doctor, it's the system, like you're saying, it's the system at large, which is why droves and droves of conventional physicians are being trained in functional medicine now. So I am hopeful of that. Yeah, it's amazing. So let, let's talk about the book. And I think one of the misconceptions that people have with us in wellness is it's either or, and it's us versus them. I don't think it needs to be like that. I think, I mean, another word for functional medicine is integrative medicine. We, yeah. Why can't we integrate the best of both worlds, life-saving surgeries, people that need to be on medications? I mean, absolutely. I want people, people lose that context because I think we are- we are pointing out statistics where we're failing, but that doesn't mean we have to shame every other doctor that's doing good things. Yeah. This is about, instead of being either or, let's be both and, there's a place for all of us. Let's, I mean, this, this is a litmus test that I say for my patients. What is your most effective option that causes you the least amount of side effects? For some people, it is the surgery. For some people, it is the medication. There's a time and place for that. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify that. So let's talk about the book. The book is freaking beautiful. and. I want to talk about the studies you put into this and the work that you put into this. But tell me about the genesis of it. As a educator, as a writer, how did Eat
1: Smarter come to be? Oh, wow. So as I mentioned, you know, food was really my bridge into wellness. But one of the things that happened, you know, living in Ferguson, Missouri, one bedroom apartment, mattress on the floor, you know, not really seeing a way to success or to wellness. Mm -hmm. Once I started, food isn't just food, it's information, Yeah. So once I started to change these inputs, it didn't just change my body composition, yeah my mind started to change, you know the way that I thought, my perspective started to shift. yeah and I started to even see there's this quote I came across many years ago from Einstein that the most fundamental decision you make is whether you live in a friendly or a hostile universe. Mm. And I was constantly looking for problems at that time, which helped me to survive many mm-hmm. in many instances but it didn't serve me in really becoming my, to reaching my potential. Mm -hmm. So I started to see potential and beauty and all these things Mm -hmm. that I, prior to that, I didn't see, but my inputs changed, you know, it just made it easier. Yeah. And so now here's the big issue with food, which you've seen this over the years. I mean, there are, you know, countless diet books, (laughs) but I think that there's a fundamental flaw there as well Mm -hmm. because most folks in, our society, when we think about diet and nutrition, it's usually related to weight loss. It's in the context of weight. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a huge disservice because it is a part of it. You know, and we do go through, and as you know, like we talk about some of the most powerful science on human metabolism. And also this is the first time in book form, I'm actually taking people, which is crazy to say this, that this hasn't been done before. I'm taking people behind the scenes and teaching them how their metabolism works from start to finish. How does, quote, fat get, quote, burned? How does that process happen? Where does fat go when you lose it? Is mm-hmm. it like, is it the spider-verse? You know, like, where does it go? <laughs> My 14-year-old son may think <laughs> that. Right. Yeah. So like covering all of these bases, but the fundamental flaw is that food is so much more powerful than that. We mentioned food becomes us. It becomes everything about us. It becomes the tissues of our heart. The very brain that we have mm-hmm. enabling us to have thoughts, feelings, and emotions is made from food. And so I wanted to dive into that and talk about all of this incredible science we have now on how food controls your cognitive function, mm. right? But not just superficial stuff, which specific foods and nutrients will improve your your memory, you know, peer reviewed studies, like in a week
0: mm-hmm. to
1: make your declarative or explicit memory better. Mm. Which foods help you to perform better under stress with your focus? Um, and also, and this is really at the heart of the book and also for me, a big reason why I wrote the book, how food affects our emotional well-being and yeah, how you relate like to other people. Yeah. It's some of the most important signs because the world is very polarized right now. Yeah. And I know a lot of people feel like people aren't listening and there's a yeah. lot of infighting. Yeah, Well, some of the most powerful data we have shows that the way that we eat our nutrition and nutrition defi- the deficiencies deeply impact our ability to perspective take our ability to have patience and also even our proclivity towards violence. Mm. And I think it's incredibly, it's gonna be super eye-opening in the book being, doing what it's already done and being in the places that it has, it's added a layer of conversation that hasn't been there before. Yeah. So now it's just basically putting all these legs under yeah. how powerful food is, that it's not just gonna make me more fit and sexy. <laughs> it's going to actually enable me to be a better parent. It's yeah. gonna enable me to help to manage my emotions and have some more emotional intelligence and resilience mm-hmm. amidst all of the craziness that's going on in the world. And yeah. The list goes on it's gonna help me to perform better in my job. Mm-hmm. So I make this food decision. It's not just one thing, it's
0: everything. Yeah, wow, that's good. So you talk about in the book, you mentioned me- metabolism and a lot of people have metabolic disorders or struggling with weight loss or different uh, metabolic issues. You talk about the three things that will be impediments that will keep you back from fat loss, no matter how much you diet, how much you exercise. Can you give us, shed some light on this? What are oh, the three sure. things? <laughs> well, one of these things is
1: one of the things that you've been talking about for quite some time and so great to, to connect with you, which seems like a ghost in the machine. It seems like a boogeyman. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily seem real, mm-hmm. uh, which is inflammation. Unless you can see it physically on the surface, like you got, you know, you hurt your elbow or something, you could see the inflammation. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, systemic inflammation is one of the most treacherous things. True. And specifically, we talked about this as well. So, inflammation is one of these epicloric controllers. So, it's literally, and this is a term I wanna keep impressing upon culture, there are seven factors that we now have data on that control what calories do in your body. My very first day in nutritional science class, I was taught if you control calories, you can control your metabolism, you control your body composition, you can control your health. Mm -hmm. Also my nutritional science teacher was boring on obesity as well. Mm -hmm. He's a very smart guy, but the things that we were being taught to teach other people that when you work with patients, food pyramid, make sure you cut that fat, lower fat, manage the calories, eat lots of whole grains, you know, seven to 11 servings. And he's doing that thing, but you create learned helplessness. Yeah. It's like, how much more, more can I lower my fat? I'm lowering my fat. I just gotta do it more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, with that said, with in, in the paradigm of inflammation, one of the biggest issues, and it's an epicaloric controller, is neuroinflammation. Right. Mm-hmm. So brain inflammation. Researchers at Yale University School of Medicine really affirm this that, you know, the brain and the gut, that connection, you know, mm-hmm. the gut-brain axis. Yeah. You're, you mentioned this earlier as well, is that the, the gut is often referred to as a second brain. Yeah. It's constantly sending data back and forth about your nutritional needs. Yes. What do you have in, in circulation? What do you have stored? What do you need? <laughs> and so what they discovered is that inflammation in the gut and or specifically hypothalamic inflammation, yeah. hypothalamic inflammation, which is really your body's internal thermostat, your internal thermostat of your quote metabolic rate controlling your rate of calorie burn. If you have inflammation in your brain and or your gut, what happens is the data on what you have stockpiled can get skewed. And your brain can literally tell your gut to increase the absorption of the calories from the food that you eat. Or it can literally tell your gut to decrease the amount of calories from the food that you eat. It's above caloric control. And most people have no idea about this. This is because inflammation is often invisible, right? It doesn't show up in this one cookie cutter way, so we don't believe it It, it exists. right? And so especially when we talk about inflammation of the brain because your brain itself, contrary to popular belief, doesn't have any pain receptors. Your brain is great about telling, about pain other places Somewhere in the body. Else, yeah. It could tell you got pain in your, in your belly, you got a tummy ache, you've got pain in your toe. It's a great informant. Mm-hmm. but it's very secretive in his private life. Mm-hmm. Private life. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes it's too late when we find this out, but here's the last part of that and the data that they shared. They noted that hypothalamic inflammation is one of the major causative factors in our skyrocketing rates of obesity, which right now we have over 240 million Americans are overweight or obese, wow. 43% clinically obese, and we're on, our, on pace to 50%. And this pandemic, the shutdown, has helped to usher that in even quicker. And so we're already at this place. Nobody's talking about reducing brain inflammation, hardly anybody to get your metabolism healthy, right? And I'm gonna share one tip on how to do that too, I have to. (laughs) Um, So with that said, they found that Hypothalamic inflammation is a causative factor in obesity and obesity is one of the biggest drivers of neuroinflammation. Yeah. So it becomes this very difficult, vicious circle to get out right. of. Right. So what are some things people can do to reduce this inflammation, this neuroinflammation specifically? All right, one of the coolest things, and this is not an advocation for what I'm about to share, but the data exists and it's so remarkable. Oleocanthal rich extra virgin olive oil. Researchers at Auburn University discovered that it's, it's now proven to actually help number one, reduce neuroinflammation. That's some magic stuff, man. Like that's really remarkable. But most remarkable for me was it was also found to help repair the blood brain barrier, right? And the blood brain barrier is your internal security system. Basically, you know, we have a, your brain has a different diet than the rest of your body in many ways. We Mm -hmm. call it neuroinflammation. And it has yeah. gates that only allow in very specific things, yeah. right? This blood-brain barrier. I think about it like an internal toll, toll booth, <laughs> yeah. and there's different lanes there. Yeah. And most of the lanes, it's like Dwayne the Rock Johnson <laughs> and his clones at them, <laughs> like mm-hmm. only allowing in very specific things. Yeah. But then there's express pathway gates that allow in, mm-hmm. you know, things like water, ketones, mm-hmm. also, you know, uh, omega-three fats, DHA and EPA. They get express passes, but Within that though, the way that we eat today, which again, we have a largely processed food mm-hmm. uh, diet, it breaks down the blood brain barrier, enabling things to get into your brain that shouldn't be there, exacerbating mm-hmm. this condition. And also, especially sugar. you know, yeah. Sugar has very quick, it has an express pass yeah. to get into the brain, but it can create insulin resistance in the brain, which is one of the hallmark things we've seen with Alzheimer's. Yeah. You know? Type so, three diabetes. Yeah, we're yeah. calling it type three diabetes now. Yeah. and so having all these as as issues to hear something like extra virgin olive oil. And that, this is the thing for me too, that makes it even more efficacy with it. Mm-hmm. It's been used for thousands of years. Yeah. All right. This isn't yeah. the highly refined yeah. like these crazy seed oils that are deodorized right. and all these chemicals added. And one of the studies that I shared in Eat Smarter, which is I, I wanna bring like eye-opening, like jaw dropping data, not just data, but transformative data. Yeah and this was in a journal, uh, Inhalation Toxicology, uh, looking specifically at this point. And it was just found that simply inhaling the fumes mm. from cooking with things like canola oil and quote vegetable oil, which is not damn broccoli oil. It's <laughs> so not- squeezed out broccoli. broccoli. It's, this is some <laughs> highly processed, yeah. absolute garbage oil mm-hmm. that's just been marketed. They threw vegetable on the name and made it healthy. And put vegetables on the label too for- Right, too. son of a- <laughs> <laughs> so, what they discovered was that simply inhaling the fumes while cooking it can damage your DNA. The most prestigious journal in inhalation toxicology, yeah, found that inhaling the fumes from cooking with those oils can damage your freaking DNA. Wow. It's crazy. So, but that's not olive oil. It's just it's a different thing. Cold yeah. pressed, right? You know, extra virgin olive oil can help to repair the blood brain barrier. Also, when you got a fire. What are you typically going to use to put the fire out? You're going to yeah. use water.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's one of the biggest things as well. You know, your brain is approximately 80% water. Mm. It's the most water dominant organ next to your lungs, you know? And so mm-hmm. again, it's got that pathway. And one of the studies that I shared in the book as well, finally just a 2% drop in your body's optimal, you know, your baseline hydration rate leads to significant cognitive decline. Like mm-hmm. literally things like uh, memory, things like, Uh, Being able to manage yourself in space, you know, spatial awareness, Mm -hmm. you know, so like map recognition, you know, uh, grammatical stuff, uh, mental math. We basically get dumber, you know, we're looking for, everybody's looking for this nootropic thing to make their, Mm -hmm. you know, have more energy. Yeah. Water is really the foundation.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know what I appreciate about this book is you are first of all, walking PubMed. <laughs> you are like literally a, a human, PubMed in human form. And you've tirelessly brought the data that's cutting edge. that's very interesting. That's in the journals, nobody's even talking about it. Yeah. Doesn't not getting press and you're giving it attention and you're explaining it to easy understand ways. I don't want to, you don't spend too long on this, but how the heck, like, how long did that take you to write this book? And what's your process look like? (laughs) As from a clinician standpoint, it seems daunting for me. Thank you, man. That's such a great question. It's such an honor. Really, thank
1: you. So in truth, writing a book like this, it takes 19 years. You know, I've been in this field for 19 years, almost Mm -hmm. 20 years. And it's really my life experience, even prior to that, really, you know, that goes into understanding different dynamics, not just of The science, but also in human psychology and relating to other people. Yeah. You know, the process of learning is really taking something that you know Mm -hmm. and connecting with something that you don't know. Yeah. Right. And so using that as a tenant coming into it. So for me, it's like, how can I teach how the process of metabolism works? By using the analogy of going to the movies, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody knows what it's like to go to the movies. We'll use that as a framework,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so those little things over the years. But also going into the data, there's over 500 studies in the book, and you know many many hours. I mean, like for me, when I write a book, I literally shut everything else in my life down, and just just write. You know, I went to the studio once a week, and I just researched and wrote. My family's a big priority for me of value. So I was still able to be a father, you know, and, and hang out with my wife. But other than that, it was just all about each Smarter.
0: Yeah.
1: And now here's the, this is the catch. Going through the data, you know, fortunately having a background in it, I really understand today. It's, 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 a, it's like a language. It's like learning a language. Yeah. And it's written in the lang- language of academia, which oftentimes is, is written for other people In academia, to to Marvel at and to talk about. Yeah. It's very little concern about the benefit to others. Right. And so, a lot of folks don't realize this, but it takes on average, when we got a a double blind, placebo controlled trial proving the benefit of, we'll just say uh, curcumin, right? Mm -hmm. Active component in turmeric, it's proven to have anti angiogenesis properties. So, it's literally able to cut off, selectively cut off the blood supply to cancer cells. Kind of, kind of important, kind (laughs) of cool. It takes, on average, when we get that data, it takes on average seventeen years for it to get implemented in a clinical setting. Wow, it's unbelievable. At the time of the internet, unbelievable. It's unacceptable. Yeah, it is crazy. So I'm going into the data and understanding the language. Now I pull it out and think, okay, now how can I teach this yeah. to other people who can use this right now? And also, of course, there's going to be a, um, a dimension of you know entertainment and mm-hmm. and also empowerment, you know, when I mentioned before, I don't want to just give data. I want to give things that really is transformative. Yeah. You know, so that's gonna come along with stories. It's gonna come along with, you know, empowerment and inspiration mm-hmm. and really looking at all dynamics of this topic of
0: food, which mm-hmm. again has been really pigeonholed to being one thing, but it's so much more. Yeah, well said. So a topic in the book that I really love and I'm glad you touched on, and not enough people in the health space talk about it is this massive health and food and nutrition disparity that's out there. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh, I live there. You're from Missouri. Like there's a lot of food deserts going on. Yeah. There's a lot of pockets where like this stuff that we're talking about, it's just not even, ta- it's not even talked about, it's not even, it's another world. Yeah. So talk about the most current data on that and what's going on in our country. Yeah. This was
1: again a big part of why I wrote the book is to address these issues yeah. because this also impacts how we relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And growing up in what's now termed a food desert myself, like I know, I know what it is. This isn't superficial theory. This is yeah. my this is where I come from. And so I'm coming from that perspective, which is it it adds a layer of understanding to it. And so <laughs> I think a big part of these might have started with some altruistic tendencies, you know, we've got to feed America, right? So get everybody some, you know, some milk, get everybody some bread, mm-hmm. you know, we're gonna help people to make sure there's food on the table. Yeah. Now here's where it got really twisted. And I share this because I'm a big person of like, I wanna see, I wanna see the result. I wanna know what's actually happening here. A big disparity, because a lot of folks might wonder and how also we, we got by My mother sometimes would literally go and sell her blood to get $20 to feed us. Mm. With that $20, you got to stretch that out for a few days. She's not going to go and buy like some organic rotisserie and some asparagus. Like you can't even feed our three, you know, we had my brother, my sister, and myself, and, and herself, and my stepfather as well. You can't feed all of us even for a day with that. Yeah. But you can feed everybody for two days if you go to McDonald's. Yeah. You know, you can get yourself, everybody gets a burger and fries and a drink under 10 bucks, you know, for the four of us. And how on earth, and when we were balling, by the way, you get the Happy Meal, right? So you get the- you get the, the toy. You get the toy, right? So you get a this burger. Those toys were pretty cool when you were little. Super cool, man. I think <laughs> I might actually still have some. Uh, I think I got like a micro machine or something. <laughs> but you've got a burger, cheeseburger, fry, beverage, you know, we'll just say orange soda mm-hmm. and a toy and all the packaging, two ninety nine. dollars yeah. How in the world, something so cost intensive to make is $2.99 and an avocado costs $3. Yeah. How is that even possible? Yeah. That just drives, it feeds into the situation of continued dysfunctional eating because we have to feed our families, right? And so this schism happens because of government subsidies. It's where the money's being funneled. And I went and actually tracked this down and there was a really great study published by the Journal of the American Medical Association. If anybody cares to actually go and look, which I love, I love looking. Mm -hmm. I'm not like a voyeur, but I love (laughs) looking at the data, man. And so they tracked the course, by the way, so the US government invested over the course of this, what they tracked, almost $200 billion into government subsidies which many of the foods they're funding are the stuff that's ending up through, coming through the drive-through window, mm. coming through processed foods, right? $200 billion. And fruits and vegetables are getting like a couple million here or there, right? Mm-hmm. So, but it's this, that old paradigm of like feeding America, you know, pump out as much wheat as you can, yeah. corn, right? This mostly uses sweeteners now. Mm-hmm. And so they tracked the pathway of that food, the government subsidy, to the farm, you know, to the to the company, mm-hmm. to the organization, the processed food company, and the in person eating it, and they found that the folks who had the highest consumption of the government subsidized foods had a forty percent greater incidence of being obesity. It's a direct connection, yeah. right there, with our government is literally feeding the problem. Now, when I say our government, I mean us, <laughs> because it's coming from our money. It's the tax tax yeah. dollars that's literally funding sickness here in the United States. So. You know, number one, it's about exposure. It's not necessarily even about accessibility right off the bat, it's just exposure. For yeah. me, I, w- I was living in a food desert when I had this revelation yeah. on how powerful food is. And I made myself, I found a way to get to it. That's part one. Accessibility makes it easier, mm-hmm. right? Because funny enough, I found there was a farmer's market in Ferguson, mm-hmm. a Ferguson florist and farmer's market going on but now my awareness because of my exposure right. i'm aware that it exists i have more accessibility now i can get you know three bunches of whatever spinach that will cost the same for one at whole foods right, right. and that's the other part is the affordability of it this yeah. is the reason fast food is just thrive one of the reasons it's thriving not to mention the you know the manipulation of mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing i talk about the science of flavor and how you know yeah. that's been mutated but I used to be one of those people that was very like never going to McDonald's, like never going to a fast food restaurant. And I had only been in a fast food restaurant maybe like once in ten years. I had to pee really bad, um, and so I was <laughs> just been in, there, By the way, <laughs> and they're super nice they're now. Shame. By the way, yeah, yeah they, they got really like go. Wi-Fi. Yeah, <laughs> they got big screen TVs. It's crazy, but you know, I was tr- I was really fighting a a losing battle because I found out eighty four million Americans get fast food every day. I'm barely chipping away at that. Mm-hmm which is crazy. I shared this before we got started that, you know, a lot of these big processed food companies and organizations reach out to me now to work with me, which is crazy. It's just like, do you guys know what I (laughs) do? But you know, there's a way you go about it that's graceful. And this is part of it, which is sometimes the problem can be the solution. Like it's that same thing of like, do we need to end this paradigm of conventional medicine to have something else? Not necessarily. If we can integrate with it, which is, I used to see, you know, McDonald's billboard, like they're putting avocado on something. And I'm just like, don't you dare try to use the avocado to get, you know, or, you know, they're putting kale in a smoothie. I'm like, you don't buy, why would you go to, you know, a, a crack dealer for some vitamins? You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's not the way we right. should go about it. But now, number one, there's two parts. Number one, we have people doing fast food better. Yeah investing in those companies yeah. spending voting with your dollar spending it there it forces it takes market share away from the other guys mm-hmm. and they start to change their behaviors yeah. as well so it that's one it. yeah because the behavior of our society is fast food and then within that context we can and this is you know Bonnie Hari's a good friend the food babe she's the reason she's so remarkable she's just one person but she's created an army and she's gotten major companies subway Kraft McDonald's to take some of the most toxic synthetic ingredients out of their foods. It's incredible. And right. all she, she stepped up to make it happen. So we know that we can continue doing that to at least get, re- get rid of the stuff that's blatantly killing people, right. blatantly causing sickness, right. improving the ingredients there. Like I think it's one of those processes where I'm, I'm open to that being a solution as well. But of course, ultimately the, the bigger picture is creating an overall environment to where health is easy. Yeah. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah, health becomes so much easier. Just becomes natural when it's just what you're doing. It's what's in your environment. Yeah, you know, it's very difficult for somebody if somebody was just to hang out with us, Mm -hmm. and they're just like, you know, like we're gonna grab some food. We're we're all out. We're just hanging out. We're probably not gonna roll up at Taco Bell. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like this. You know. We're gonna, we yeah. might even have a Chihuahua with us and we're still not gonna roll up a Taco <laughs> Bell, you know? Yeah. But you know, it's just the, the nature of the environment around yeah. you. So that's yeah. why I'm very passionate about this is getting, helping with exposure, yeah. accessibility and creating real policy change. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like working with some folks in, in politics, which, you know, it's not my domain, mm-hmm. but just to help to make it so that every time and everybody listening, we can start to do this at a grassroots level as well. Yeah every political campaign, every rally, you bring up the topic of food, you bring up the topic of community wellness, of recreation centers, of accessibility You know, to parks and all these things that we need to be healthy, sovereign human beings yeah. and demand it. Because the thing about politics, 99% of these folks, it's a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. They don't really care about the stuff to the degree that you might, but they do care about getting your vote and they do care about being popular and liked. Yeah. You know, and it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. And so the policies and the topics that we demand is what they'll talk about. Yeah,
0: So well said, well said. I mean, you could write probably a whole book just on that topic. I mean, it's so important and so not talked about enough. One other thing that I really loved about the book is the connection in the scientific literature to food and nutrition and health with our relationships. And with emotional intelligence, if we could go over, what what are you seeing there in the studies? (laughs) So one of the most fascinating
1: studies that I talked about, this matters a lot to me Mm -hmm. because again, I know that people often don't do well because they they don't feel well. Mm -hmm. And we don't really realize the magnitude that our ability to relate with other people has a lot to do with how we feel, Mm -hmm. you know, our biological needs Mm -hmm. and, this is really highlighted. And I'm just gonna I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share this study because it's the most like kind of tangible, visceral, very simple. Mm-hmm. This was conducted by researchers at Ohio State University. And they wanted to find out what would happen with married couples when one or both of the the partnership has abnormal blood sugar. What would happen with their ability to connect with each other? Mm-hmm. And so they use continuous glucose monitors to measure things in real time, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And so <laughs> now abnormal blood sugar, this is the norm. This isn't like just happening every now and then. We have, I mentioned this earlier, 242 million Americans are overweight or obese right now. Mm-hmm. 100, approximately 130 million Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic right now. It's chron- we're talking about chronically abnormal blood sugar not to mention just the day to day for many of us yeah. you know i might not have a diagnosis but you know i'm going out and i'm getting my you know my subway sandwich and i'm you know having my chips and you know my, my beverage my health, my diet you give me a diet coke <laughs> yeah, of course
0: right? top it off <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so but what happens when you have these abnormal foods is you get a blood sugar spike mm-hmm. and then you go hypoglycemic that's just what happens and your body takes blood sugar very seriously very seriously, because this is part of that ability to, su- to survive, you know, through our evolution. Everything's kind of kosher right now for most of us, like yeah. comfy, you know, we got iPhones, but our genome is really hardwired on survival and being able to fight or flee. Mm-hmm. And so that's a part of that is that blood sugar management to be where it needs to be so you can fight or flee, so you can be aware of your surroundings and do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And so, your blood sugar that is very it's very important to your biology so it uses catecholamines to get it back to baseline your body's very good at it so it uses you know adrenaline cortisol to get that blood sugar back up yeah but the side effect is that it can make you aggressive and it can make you irritable and so here's what they found in the study after compiling the data they found that when one or both of the subjects had abnormal blood sugar they were far more aggressive towards their partner surprise but also they were far less likely to be able to have patience and perspective take, mm. but this is the most important part. They were far less likely to resolve their relationship conflicts. Wow! Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to solve our conflicts yeah. and literally being blocked from doing that. It's like having a plexiglass between <laughs> you, right? You're literally having this block. You could see each other, but you just can't connect. It's not actually yeah. connecting. And you know, this is one of the things that is so chronic in our society. We're, we're we're walking around just automatically irritated and hangry. But scientists, we're taking this very seriously, this hangry term. It's cute. We got Snickers commercials for it, but literally this is leading to so much, just even in your loving relationships, so much dissonance, so much fighting, an inability to solve conflicts, not to mention people you don't like. Right. You know, and so these are the chronic issues. And coming from my environment, seeing this at such a degree of irritation with people in the environment, people entrusted in protecting the environment and that dissonance, Mm -hmm. right? And understanding we are operating in an environment with very unhealthy people. And again, people don't do well because they don't feel well. Now, let me be clear about this. This It's very important. It's not that you can't have patience and compassion and understanding when you're not well, it's just harder. It's just harder. And that fuse is shorter. Mm-hmm. And I know this because that was my life. That was me. Yeah. And man, and my older son, you know, Jordan, who's mm-hmm. here, he's 20.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, he can tell you because he was there with me sleeping on the air mattress you know, <laughs> when, when, when he was there and it had a little hole in it. So he wake, he'd go to sleep on the air mattress. <laughs> he was like two feet above the ground and then he'd wake up on the floor. From the perspective of anybody looking from the outside, mm-hmm. uh, from the outside in, I'm a totally different person. I have infinite patience when it comes to them—not infinite, but a yeah. lot, yeah. a lot, exponentially more. But my—I had an impatience still towards myself until recently, just for, for my passion to help and to change. Yeah. And even that's gotten adjusted, you know, over yeah. time. But so, the bottom line being this: this is probably one of the most remarkable things is that researchers at Oxford University wanted to find out how our nutrition affects our proclivity towards violence literally towards wanting to harm another person. Mm -hmm. This is a tough one. So they took prison inmates, which already have, you have an idea of what that looks like, that situation. Now, from the perspective of science, it's a very beneficial place to conduct a study because it's a ward study. Everything can be tracked. Like nobody's heading out to Whole Foods on their lunch break. Like everything is tracked. And so they want to find out how nutrition might have an effect on their behavior. It wasn't def- specifically for violence that became an output later. So they gave one group of test subjects, improved nutrition, just rudimentary stuff, mm-hmm. improved improvements through know, vitamins and minerals and essential omega, uh, omega-3 yeah. fatty acids, which is incredibly important for cognitive health, which maybe we could circle back to. But they gave this group of, you know these are the folks who were the, the, the test group. Then they had to control who they gave placebos. Right? Mm-hmm. Now this is a multi-month study. And after compiling all the data, they found that the folks who received improvements in their nutrition had a 40% reduction in behavioral offenses. Wow. All right. And this is the most important they had a 37% reduction in violent offenses simply by changing their diet, improving their nutrition. Wow. That's how yeah. we're walking when we're deficient in key nutrients, for example, that are maybe needed to regulate your prefrontal cortex. Yeah. Right. The part of your brain responsible for decision making, social control. Distinguishing between right and wrong, right? Forethought, yeah. even mapping out, okay, if I do this action, this is gonna happen. Let me not do that. Yeah, That part of the brain can become deficient and we stop operating to our fullest capacity. And this is proven time and time. The, the, the results of the study was so remarkable that another set of scientists didn't believe it. And they conducted the same study with another group at a different prison and got almost the exact same numbers. That was published in the journal, Aggressive Behavior which there's journals for everything, by the way. <laughs> and so I break all these studies down in the book, but just to highlight how important it is because nutrient deficiencies lead to chronic overeating. Nutrient deficiencies lead to chronic dysfunction in our behavior, in the way yeah. that we show up in the world. right? And if we're talking about, cause I know a lot of your audience as well is just very dedicated to just being better,
0: mm-hmm.
1: being the best version of ourselves. These are the things that we have to handle, but also we need to take a little bit, st- of a step outside of ourselves and think about the, the world around us, yeah. our friends and family, like what are the small things that maybe we can implement? And oftentimes it's through other voices, yeah. right? Because you know, there's a saying, you can't be a prophet in your own land. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> now we have resources like Eat Smarter, like yeah. intuitive fasting yeah. and you know, resources like these podcasts, just to add another voice, another dimension. Mm-hmm. But ultimately the goal is to create it so that the environment itself is
0: healthy, where health becomes the norm. I know we can do it. Man. Well said. This has been a beautiful, special conversation. Um, how can people get connected with what you're doing? Thank you so much, man. It's an absolute honor. People can find
1: the book anywhere their books are sold—Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, BAM, all that good stuff—and also at eachsmarterbook.com. My team and I put together a 10-video series. Like we don't play around. So Those 10 <laughs> videos, and where each one is on one of the specific foods that has the most data on kind of targeting and optimizing our fat loss related hormones. Now, there is no food that's a magic bullet, but these are the things that really control, like for example, if we're talking about leptin, mm-hmm. right? Or if we're talking about insulin, if we're talking about glucagon, if we're talking about CCK, all of these things are made from food and specific mm-hmm. nutrients. So yeah. what are the building blocks that really help to create the things that make the magic happen, Yeah. right? So. People can pop over there and grab that once they get a copy of the book uh, for free. So they get the they'll get the mini course for free. As of now, I don't know how long it'll be there. So that's <laughs> eSmarterBook.com, and where people are listening to this amazing podcast, they can find my show as well. Yes, it's called the Model Health Show. The Model Health Show, and you know, I'm from Missouri <laughs> here from Pittsburgh. We're not at like the hubs of yeah. you know health and wellness in the world, but you know, there's good people everywhere. That's right. But to create. Uh, a show we've been number one in the country many, many times. It's just, uh, it's a testament for me that, you know, we just, we care a lot. We use where it's evidence-based and we also have fun, you know, because ultimately this process of learning and empowerment boils down to like connection, you know, Mm -hmm. and having a good time. The process of getting healthy shouldn't be something that is, you know, even the word diet, you know, it's associated with deprivation, restriction I can't have. And if I know anything about us even if it's the illusion of freedom we love our freedom that's right you know and so really creating a situation where we all can start to tap into mm-hmm. what makes us passionate about health yeah and it makes us hungry as a, as a metaphor yeah. for becoming the best version of of who we can be ah,
0: my friend thank you Sean Stevenson my friends what an amazing human being if you want to learn more about his Work, please check out his world renowned podcast, The Model Health Show, and pick up his book. It's out now. It's called Eat Smarter Use the Power of Food to Reboot Your Metabolism, Upgrade Your Brain, and Transform Your Life. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Katie. Hi, Katie. She says, Dr. Cole, thank you so much for your podcasts. Well, you're welcome, Katie. Here's a question for your Ask Me Anything segment. If a certain food triggers arthritis, how long after consumption of that food will arthritis pain manifest and how long will the pain last? Thank you. All right, Katie, here is the deal. Everybody is different. I know that's not like like a real... That's not what you want to hear, right? You want like specific numbers and specific symptoms, specific lengths of time, but everybody is ultimately different. It's the heart of functional medicine. It's the heart of what I do when I'm consulting people around the world via webcam. It's bio-individuality. It's the uniqueness of human physiology. And we're all coming at different points of our journey too. Like what's our baseline? What's our starting point? Where are we at right now? What's the level of inflammation that's going on right now? What's the level of reactivity? and inflammatory cascades that are going on right now. So everybody is truly different, but I will still give you some clinical experience right here and some things to look out for. So when you are looking at food and its implication on chronic inflammation, and let me just brief people here, Katie, I know that you understand this. It seems like that from the way that you worded your question. Every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. There's no, I'm doing nothing for your physiology food. Some are doing it in negligible ways in ways you don't notice it, but it's serving one camp or another. There's no Switzerland meal. There's no uh, neutral food when it comes to its impact on our microbiome and our immune system and our physiology and the cascade of of reactions and pathways, it's its doing one thing or another in some way. So uh, that's something that I look at on a bio-individual basis with my patients. It's also something, if you want a resource, check out my second book. It's called The Inflammation Spectrum. I talk about this at length in granular detail. In The Inflammation Spectrum, I talk about the four foods that are most likely to drive inflammation levels in the body. It's what I call the core four. Those are grains, added sugar, dairy, and industrial seed oils like canola oil, vegetable oil, high omega-6 oils. And the eliminate track, the the suffix ATE there, uh, eliminate, uh, is the number eight. So it's just for easy remembering here. It's the core four, which I just mentioned, plus four more foods or eight. So that adds in nuts and seeds, legumes, Nightshades, which are peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, goji berries, white potatoes, and eggs. And I talk about the different proteins and all those foods and the better versions and the not so good versions and the more inflammatory versions. We're all different. So my my message here is bioindividuality and finding out what your body loves and what your body hates. So to get to the heart of your question, Katie, is if a certain food triggers arthritis, how long after consumption of that food will arthritis pain manifest and how long will the pain last? I would say this, when you, if you've removed a food and you're trying to reintroduce it and you want to see, does this food work for me or doesn't it work for me? I would give your body at the very least three days, but for optimal, let's mitigate variables and sort of have a best n of one experiment for yourself, allow five to seven days before you do any reintroduction of any other food that you may have removed for a time to calm inflammation levels down and get a solid objective baseline on what your specific bio-individuality is. Because a lot of these immune-mediated issues are delayed reactions. They're not what you would think is like the immune-mediated, anaphylactic, immediate rash or hive or trouble breathing, anything like that. It is a more low-grade, uh, delayed reaction, but it's still immune-mediated. It's a sensitivity it is immune reactivity, which is different than your more overt, extreme allergy. And remember, things like arthritis, it's not just about food. There are many other variables to consider as well, like stress and trauma and chronic infections, and underlying gut problems. There's a lot of things beyond food. Now, food impacts that stuff because it's going to raise inflammation levels up or bring it down, but keep in mind that it's not just about food. So sometimes we can get too myopic and too obsessed about the food factor, which it is something to consider, but I don't want you to become super obsessed about it in a way that you're reading into things when it's not there. But you know your body, and I trust that you know your body. So get rooted in your body, get become intuitive. And that's what we're trying to learn through these, this through art of wellness, uh, hence the name of the show. Uh, so give it at least seven days. And then how long will the pain last? Depends on your specific inflammatory response. Depends on how much you ate, how things, how much things were flared up. It could be anywhere between a couple days to a couple weeks for some people to come out of a flare. Uh, It really depends on the case. So I hope this was helpful. I wish I could just say this amount of days and this amount of time and everybody's the same. It's it's not that simple, but at least it gave you some window of things to consider. And if you want to learn more about this stuff, check out drwillcole.com. There's lots of free content on the site as well. Thanks, Katie. That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.